Well, good morning, friends. Uh, it's great to gather today uh, as God's church to uh, hear His Word and to refocus ourselves on yeah, what matters in this life. Um, our friends, we're, we'll be continuing our series this morning on the book of Ephesians. Uh, this is a series that is called One, uh, and this is a series where we're talking about the unity that Christ has, bri- has brought to this world, uh, and as we live as a united people, that, that changes everything. Uh, so we're so glad that you can join us as we explore this letter, which is uh, a letter uh, that a man called Paul, the Apostle Paul, an early church planter, an early missionary, wrote to a church in Ephesus, in modern-day Turkey, uh, to think about what it means to live as a united people of Christ. And let me tell you, it changes everything. So I'm glad that you're here to join us today, especially if it's your first time with us. Now, friends, I don't know if you've ever watched one of those um, beauty pageants. You don't have to put up your hand, um, but I'm sure most of you have seen at least a bit of some. You know, I'm not an expert, but you know, in those beauty pageants, those Miss Universe pageants, Miss World, uh, there usually is that stereotype question that they ask in that interview. Right? They ask the contestants, if there's one thing that this, this world needs, that society needs, what is it? What would you say it is? And what's the stereotype answer that comes back from the contestants? World peace. World peace. Miss Congeniality, if you've seen that as well. World peace. Uh, that's what comes up. And whilst that's a bit of a stereotype, it's a bit of a joke, um, in one sense, we all want that, don't we? That's why it's the answer that comes up. World peace. Who doesn't want peace in this world? Who doesn't want it? In a world which is so broken, a world that is so full of conflict, a world that's so full of hostility, is there any one of us here that doesn't desire that that ends? That there's actually peace in this world? You must have heard in the news just recently the tragedy that happened in Christchurch an atrocity, a horrific tragedy where a man entered uh, two mosques uh, where people were gathering to uh, worship, gathering to pray, uh, similar to what we're doing here today. Um, And he opened fire on those people and 49 people were killed. Countless others were hospitalized. And why? What for? This man's hatred of uh, people that weren't like him You know, people who shared a different religion, people who had a different colour to their skin, people who thought differently to them, uh, resulted in hostility, resulted in death, resulted in conflict, resulted in absolute tragedy, a loss of life that just shouldn't have happened. And we can't begin to imagine the pain and the suffering that the families of these people are going through. We can't imagine the trauma that will haunt them for the rest of their lives because of the conflict that comes from humans warring against one another. When you hear about things like this, I don't know what you think, but um, in one sense it seems like every second day that something like this is coming up, doesn't it? That there's conflict all over the world tearing apart our societies. And when you hear about things like this, don't you just wish that it would stop? Don't you just pray that peace would come? I know I do. But even as you think about these things and um, the tragedies that are happening around the world, um, perhaps that's a bit far removed, like we do mourn and grieve for those, but it's a bit distant from us. But just think about your own homes. Think about the, the relational breakdowns that happen in our very own homes. 
Yeah, don't you wish there was peace there as well? Like, this might not seem as significant as the wars and the conflicts and the terrorism going on around the world, but it's real, isn't it? Because it hurts. There's pain in our lives. Don't you wish that you could just stop arguing with your husband or your wife? Don't you wish that you could just stop fighting with your kids? Don't you wish that your relationship with your parents was better, that it wasn't filled with pain and resentment and bitterness? Don't you wish that you could actually trust your friends and they wouldn't hurt you anymore? Friends, our our world is filled with conflict, isn't it? It's filled with hostility. It's filled with relationships that are broken and they're just not as they should be. And don't you wish that there was peace in this world? Don't you wish that? Who doesn't want that? I think that's natural to want because I think that's something that God's uh, placed in our hearts. He's given us a desire for peace. But let me tell you something. We, as humans, are never going to bring about that peace by ourselves. We are not going to make that happen. This is only something that God can do. What is the secret to peace? Well, friends, in today's passage in Ephesians, we're going to look at that, and we're going to find out what that is. And we'll be looking at um, three points in this passage. Uh, Number one is that you were alienated. Number two, you can have peace. And number three, welcome to God's new people. They're the points that we're going to be looking at. And please have your Bibles with you as we look at, at the Scriptures today. Um, and we're going to start by point, looking at point one. You were alienated. Um, just to give you a little bit of context of where we're coming from, last week uh, we heard Peter bring us a message from Ephesians 2, 1 to 10, where the Apostle Paul was talking about the fact that salvation comes by grace, not by works. A big difference. We don't do anything to earn God's favor. We don't do anything to earn the blessings that God promises us. He gives it to us freely. It's an undeserved gift, which means this, that anyone can come in if they trust in Jesus. That's the big point that's being put there. And because it's God's gift, it's not up to us. But as Paul writes this, he also wants to remind his readers, this wasn't always the case. Remember where you came from. And have you... Open up with me and have a look at Ephesians 2, verse 11. Ephesians 2, verse 11 and 12. Therefore, so it starts with therefore, means there's a link from what happened before. Remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God, in the world. And the first thing that Paul wants uh, his readers to know is remember what you once were. And his audience here is the Gentiles. So he's writing to the Ephesian church, uh, which is a church, uh, a Greek church. Yeah, it's not Jewish. Um, he's writing to this church, and this is actually really significant that he calls them Gentiles. Because back in biblical times, uh, there was two groups of people essentially. This is how people saw the world there was the Jews. And then there was the Gentiles, which is everyone else that isn't a Jew. And the Jews were actually uh, the people that God chose to give his promises to, to give his blessings to, uh, to show special favor to. They were God's special chosen people. Now, God's original intention was that they would be the means by which blessing came into the world. So there was always supposed to be blessings for the rest of the world. But uh, the Jewish people, they sort of forgot this. They let this privilege that they had go to their heads. So they started thinking things like this, that, that we are superior, that God only loves us, 
that no one else is worthy. And that shaped their viewpoint of everyone else in the world, which meant that people that weren't Jews, the Gentile people, they despised, they hated, they thought they saw them on the level as dogs. You know, to make contact with them was to make yourself unclean. Incredible hostility and hate came from what they thought of others. The theologian um, William Barclay writes um, that if a Jewish boy or girl married a Gentile, then their families would hold a funeral for their son or daughter. It was as if they were dead. It was that serious. These two groups couldn't have been further apart. Hostility, alienation, isolation from each other, they despise each other. And you can imagine the way the, Jew, the Jews treated Gentiles. The Gentiles didn't have much love for the Jews either. There was mutual hate and hostility in these relationships. It was incredible hostility. What could overcome this? But it's not just hostility with the Jewish people that was the issue. It's actually hostility with God. It's not just alienation from Jews that was the issue for the Gentiles. It was alienation from God, being separated from God. Because listen to what it means to be a Gentile. I'll put the passage up on the screen so we can see the key details in verse 12. Have a look at these. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise. You see, God chose Israel as His special people to receive His promises Promises of redemption, promises of salvation, promises of restoration, promises of salvation were given to Israel. Incredible promises. The thing is, if you weren't a Jew, you didn't have these promises. You didn't know these promises at all. You were excluded. You were foreigners. You were on the outside. The ESV translation uses these words. You were alienated. You are strangers. And this isn't just a, you know, you, you are a little bit far, far away from this thing. Um, you don't sort of belong. This is a deeply relational thing. Alienation. You know, if you're alienated from another party, it means that that relationship that you have is just, it's gone. It's broken. You're far away. There's no intimacy, no relationship there. And that is what happened for the uh, Gentiles. And if you don't have the promises of God, guess that, what that means. Have a look at the first thing that it says there. You are separate from Christ. Because all God's promises find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And if you don't have God's promises, you don't have Jesus Christ. They don't have these. And let's, have a, let's think about what this means for us. Think about how serious this is. Because what have we been seeing the entire time through the book of Ephesians so far? That every spiritual blessing in heaven and on earth comes in Christ. It comes in Christ. Redemption comes in Christ. Being made holy comes in Christ. Being adopted into God's family, how does that come? It comes in Christ. Being saved by grace, how does that come? It's in Christ. So without Christ, you don't have anything. Absolutely nothing at all. And this is the fate of the Gentile people separated from Christ, apart from Him. Which means, um, I guess it's summed up well in that last line, they were without hope 
and without God in the world. Christless, hopeless, godless, nothing. They had nothing at all. This was the fate for the Gentiles. And this is what Paul is writing to do. He wants his readers, the Gentile readers, to remember where they once came from. This was their fate. But friends, let me just pause here to say that um, this is also the fate for some of us here today, right now. Because if you haven't trusted in Jesus, if you don't call yourself a Christian, this is also your situation. You You are excluded. You are far off. You are alienated from God's people and alienated from God. To put it bluntly, you don't belong. That sounds harsh for me to say, doesn't it? And I'm not saying that you don't belong in the sense that we don't want you to be here. We want you to be as part of our church so you can know Jesus and find out more about him. But the most loving thing that I can tell you today is that right now, you don't belong in God's kingdom. You don't have the promises. You don't have the blessings. You don't have all the good things that are promised solely in Christ because you aren't in Christ yet. And you need to know that because we want you to be in Christ. Friends, to be apart from God's people, to be apart from God, means you have nothing. It means you have no hope. But there is hope available. There is hope available. So stay with me here. And we're at point two. You can have peace. And have a look at verse 13 with me. Open your Bibles to verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And isn't that a wonderful phrase? But now. But now. Because that means there's more to the story. People who are hopeless, people without God, people without Christ, with no future ahead of them. But now, there's something more. Because what happens now? That Gentiles far off, alienated from God, can come near. All right, People can come near into the warm embrace of God the Father Himself because of what Jesus Christ has done. All right? Did you see what it says in verse 13? It says, but now... In Christ, in Christ, by the blood of Jesus Christ, we can have relationship with God. Because of Jesus' death to pay for the sins of this world, broken people, people in broken relations, people estranged from God, people who are foreigners to God and His people can be brought near and they can share in this incredible blessing that comes with knowing His promises. Reconciliation is available. Peace is available. And friends, Jesus brings peace on two levels is what I'm going to talk about next. He brings peace horizontally with one another and He brings peace vertically between us and God. And let's have a look at the first point. Peace with one another. Right? So have a look at verses 14 and 15 with me. Have a read of those. For He Himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with his commands and regulations. His purpose is to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. Now, if you, if you knew the hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles, you would say that reconciliation was next to impossible. Um, 
I don't know if there's a modern-day equivalent. Maybe like the modern-day Israeli people and the Palestinians, you know, Palestinians. Uh, that, that animosity, that hatred. You would say that there was no hope of peace between them, but Jesus says that there is because he brings the peace. He has made the two groups one. He has united them. He has destroyed the wall that separates them, that barrier, that wall of hostility. And how does he do that? Well, have a look at the passage up on the screen. He, he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one, has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. You see, one of the things that marked out the Jewish people as special people of God was the fact that they had the law, and they had a special set of laws, a ceremonial law, which are things that they had to follow, you know, uh, religious rituals, sacrifices, things like this, to show that they were pure, that they were holy. And essentially, these laws acted as a marker, a boundary marker, to say that we are in and you are out, right? We are special, you aren't. And what does Jesus do? He comes, and through the cross, in his flesh, he destroys that wall. He breaks down that barrier, that law. He sets it aside because he fulfills all the law. There's now nothing that stands between Jew, Gentile. There's nothing that stands between any humans to say that one group belongs and that another group doesn't. What Jesus Christ has done is he's created a new humanity. So that anyone is welcome. Anyone who trusts in him can come in. Anyone and everyone can be a part of this promise. So there's no grounds for pride. There's no grounds to say that I'm better, that God loves me, he doesn't love you. There's no grounds to say that I am, I am special. You know, these differences, they don't exist anymore. Jesus tears them apart so people can come together. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. Friends, um, I don't know when you talked about that question before about why is there so much conflict in the world, what did you come up with? You know, what, what is the reason? Why is there so much conflict in the world? Well, let me tell you. It's because of you. It's because of me. It's because of every person in this world. It's because of sin and our hearts which are set against each other and set against God. It's because of our evil desires. It's because of our differences where we think that we are right and you are wrong and we will not back down from that. So we fight and we have conflict. It's because of our pride. It's because of our selfishness. It's because of sin. That's why this world is so broken. That's why there is so much conflict in this world. And let me tell you something. The only way that we can have peace in this world is if our differences are put aside. Right? That our differences are not the thing that drive us, but it's what we share that is what will drive us forward in our life. And the only thing big enough to keep us together is Jesus Christ. Is Jesus. Friends, we bring conflict, but Jesus brings peace. Let me say that again. We bring conflict, but Jesus brings peace. Because no matter who you are, 
No matter where you come from, no matter what you've done, no matter what you look like, if you are in Christ, if you, sh- if, if you trust in Jesus Christ, you share something much, much bigger than anything else that defines you in this world. Brothers and sisters in Christ here today, we share one faith, we share one Lord, we share one Saviour, right? one, one God. Right? We share the biggest thing possible. We share, we share Christ, a common Savior. And this shared commonality that we have, the fact that we are all in Christ, it makes every difference fade into insignificance. You know why Jesus died? He died to create a new humanity. A new humanity. One united Humanity, one new people, united in Him and Him alone. If you are asked to write a biography about yourself, you know, if someone, you know, I, I don't know what for, your social media profile or a dating website or something, or if someone came to you and said, um, yeah, tell me a bit about yourself, what would you say? What would you say? What's the first thing that would come to your mind? Well, let me tell you something. As a Christian, you aren't defined by the colour of your skin. You aren't defined by your job. You aren't defined by how much money you make. You aren't defined by your level of education. You aren't defined by how many friends you have. You aren't defined by how respected and well-liked you are. You are defined by Christ. That's the only thing that matters. Christ and Christ alone. And the fact that as Christians we share that same Saviour should mean that the church, the church in this world, should be the only place in this world where peace is possible. A new humanity, a new people. Now, friends, as great as that is, let me tell you something there's something even better. And that's because there's a possibility of peace with God. Have a look at Ephesians 2, verse 16 to 18 with me. Verse 16 to 18. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to to the Father by one Spirit. Now friends, as we look at these verses, we're made aware of a conflict that's even bigger. Now we're all acutely aware of the conflict that we have in our relationships, aren't we? Between each other. We can't ignore those conflicts, but there's one conflict that I think we tend to forget about. One conflict that we ignore all the time, but it's the most important relationship in this world. And that's the relationship between us and God. Us and God. Friends, if you're not a Christian today, and you're here today, it's so great that you're with us, like I said before, to learn. But here's another thing I need that you know about. You're in a conflict that you probably don't even realize that you're in. And that's with God. Because of your rejection of Him in your life, your rebellion of God, the way that you've told Him just get out of your life, the way, the way that you've been living for yourself and not Him. 
you're, you're at war with God. You, you might not think so. You might be thinking to yourself, I don't actively go out and seek to fight against God. You know, I'm not, I'm not, he can do his own thing. Christians can do their, their own thing. I don't care. I'm not, I'm not out to you know, set myself against God. But friends, every time you make a decision where you live for yourself, where you live for your own desires, where you put yourself up as God, you're saying to God that I am God, you aren't. And that is not something that the God of this universe will tolerate. He's angry at that, and rightfully so. How can we say that we are the ones that are rulers, that we are the ones that should be God? There is only one God. You are at war, and this is one battle that you can't win. Remember, we bring conflict. But here's the good news. Jesus brings the peace. Jesus, through the cross, has stepped into your place and he's taken the full force of God's anger upon his broken body, stepped into your place and he's taken that on himself, right, to pay the price that you deserve to, to actually pay. He was put to hostility between you and God could be put to death. And the good news is, friends, if you trust in Jesus today and you turn away from these old ways, if you turn away from your sins, if you repent, you turn back to God, that peace is available. Peace is available. Jesus comes and he preaches this message to us. He preaches this message to us in his word. He comes as the peacemaker to say that the war is over. And this is the gospel. This is the good news. And this is the hope that all of us can have in Christ, friends. Paul has outlined some amazing promises to us in this passage, but um, as we come to our final point, welcome to God's new people. He sums up uh, in this amazing... So have a look at uh, verse 19 to 22. Ephesians 2, verse 19 to 22. Consequently... You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And as Paul concludes, he, rem- just, he sums up and reminds us of all of these amazing truths. Firstly, you aren't a foreigner anymore. You aren't excluded anymore. You aren't on the outside anymore, but you've been accepted. You are in. You belong now in Christ. Right? And what does this mean? Well, he uses three metaphors here in this passage. Firstly, um, fellow citizens with God's people. Um, he's saying to all those that have come to Christ, right? what does this mean? You're a new people. What does this mean? You are fellow citizens with God's people. You are citizens. Where? Citizens of the kingdom of God. You belong to God. You live under His rule. And that means you have every privilege and every blessing that comes with living under God's good and perfect rule. Now, friends, I was um, born in Malaysia, born in Cebu, Malaysia, East Malaysia, tiny little town. Um, And I came over here when I was three years old. Uh, with my family, and um, 
when we came over, we were Malaysian citizens. And we retained our citizenship for quite a long time. Uh, we kept it just in case you know, we ever wanted to go back to Malaysia, uh, potentially work there or something like that. But over the years, it became very clear to us that Australia was the place that we wanted to call home. Yeah, Australia was the place that we wanted to be because we saw um, the great privileges, the great opportunities that come with being an Australian citizen. And on the 17th of September 2006, that's when uh, myself and my entire family became citizens of Australia because there are great rights and great privileges to being an Australian citizen, aren't there? Many of you know that. Many of you may have migrated for that. Um, you know, when you turn on the news sometimes and there's been some international incident uh, and then, you know, they always talk about the Australians that are involved and there's like a, a newsreader potentially and it's something like, uh, you know, um, we're sending uh, the Prime Minister's aeroplane over to bring John, John O. Smith back home because he tripped over at a bar or something like that. They just, they just love their citizens. They take care of their citizens. You know how much investment and care they have. And that, let me tell you, that doesn't happen with all countries. To be an Australian citizen comes with great rights, comes with great privileges, and it comes with great blessings. And that's uh, something that we wanted to be a part of when we became citizens. And we all know how precious that is. But friends, if you are a citizen of the kingdom of God, let me tell you, your rights and your privileges are so much greater. You have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. You have all the royal privileges and rights that come with being in Christ. You're treated like a prince. You are, you are treated like the son of God himself because you are in Christ. And whilst earthly governments might provide us protection in a small way, we have protection from God himself who holds us safe in his arms. That's what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. What a privilege. What a privilege. Well, what else does this new humanity look like? Um, well, it's also that we're members of the household. Uh, we spent quite a bit of time talking about this in the past week, so I won't spend long here, but don't forget the privilege that comes with being accepted into God's house and sitting at his table and being embraced as one of his children. That's what it means that you're, you're part of the family now. Which one of us would open up our homes to complete strangers or, in fact, enemies and just invite them inside and embrace them? That's what God does for us. Don't forget the privilege that comes with that. And the third image he uses here is that we are a holy temple in the Lord. A holy temple. Now, the temple was the center of Jewish worship. It was the place where people came to worship God, to be in God's presence. It represented the dwelling place, His presence. Um, but the language here is that we are His temple. Now, in the Bible, it's clear that the temple is a building, but all of a sudden, we are the temple. What does that mean? It means that God's presence is no longer tied to holy buildings, but is tied to holy people. It means that He chooses us who are Christians, us who trust in Jesus Christ, to be His dwelling place where His presence dwells. Think about that. It means that by the Spirit, you have God with you all the time, that His glory is within you, and you are the manifestation of His glory to this world. We are the temple of God. 
built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets in verse 20. That means the word that's been recorded for us, our Bibles bring us that testimony. You know, that's the foundation of who we are in Christ. With Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone, it means Christ Jesus is the most important piece. The cornerstone holds the whole building together. But each and every one of you who trust in Jesus Christ are a building block of the temple of God. God lives in you. He dwells with you. And you show his glory to this world. You are a temple of God. What a privilege it is. So how does this change the way we live, friends? First thing I want to say is, remember where you came from. Remember where you came from. The big purpose of Paul's writing this part of the letter is to remind the Gentiles, uh, his readers, who are now Christians, to remind them, um, where did you come from? You know, don't take that for granted. You were once far away, but now you are near to God. Now you are near to God's people. And that's a message that we who are Christians today need to hear as well. Don't forget where you came from. You weren't always in this situation where you knew God and you were close to God. There was a point where you were far away from God, where you were excluded, where you were alienated from God and His people, where you had no Christ, no God, no hope. You didn't have anything. But it was at that point that God showed His grace to you. It was at that point that Jesus died for you so that you could be part of the family, so that you could experience the blessings that come with being with God's people and being with God. And we cannot take that for granted. We didn't deserve this. We didn't deserve it. And that's what grace is. Friends, let me tell you something. You can only appreciate the heights of the grace that you've been shown when you appreciate the depths of the sins that you've been saved from. So don't you ever forget where you came from. This will help us just appreciate the gospel and never take it for granted, friends. Don't forget where you came from. And the second thing that we need to take away from this passage today is to live like one people. I said before that the church... Right? The church is the one place on this earth where there should be peace. Right? Because we have something bigger holding us together. We have Jesus Christ as our common Lord, our common Savior. We share one faith. So this church here and churches around this world should be a place where peace exists. But let's be honest. That's often not the case, is it? If we think about our churches, are they places that are full of peace? that are characterized by peace? Are, are they, are, is our church a place where no hostility exists and no conflict exists? Where there's no barriers between people? Where everyone's treated the same? Unfortunately, I don't think so. We, sh- we, shouldn't, we shouldn't be a church where we show favoritism to others based on who they are. Right? We shouldn't, we shouldn't sh- be a church that... Um, you know, once we find out someone's a doctor, we treat them differently to someone who's uh, a retail assistant or someone who's uh, got a really good degree versus someone who doesn't even have a degree. Yeah? Do, do we treat people differently according to those things? Honestly, if you ask yourself, honestly, 
How do we respect people? How do we love people? How do we care for people? How do we choose who we show our attention to? The popular people? The people that will get us ahead? The people that bring us enjoyment, perhaps? Perhaps you come to our church and you feel different to everyone else because you don't quite fit that mould of being upper middle class, highly educated professional and you're struggling to fit in. Why, why does that exist in the church? That shouldn't be the case, should it, friends? Because you know what Jesus Christ has done? He's broken down every single barrier between humanity. He died to break down the walls between humanity so that these class barriers, these social barriers, these whatever barriers, racial barriers, they shouldn't exist, but they still do in our church. Friends, we know the power of sin's broken over us, but the presence of sin, it's, it's still here, isn't it? So this is something we need to fight. We need to work hard at. Perhaps it's not those sorts of barriers that are keep, keeping you apart from others that are causing conflict. Maybe it's just a personal thing. Maybe you've got a personal jealousy for someone in the church. Maybe you're looking down on someone because of um, you know, something you envy. Um, maybe someone in the church has wronged you and you just cannot forgive them and that is causing animosity and hostility and hatred in the relationships around you. Friends, this shouldn't be the case. This shouldn't be the case. Because let me tell you something. Jesus died to break down every barrier in the church. He died so we could be united. He died so we could be one. Do you get that? This is what he died for. How dare we put new barriers in place where he's broken every barrier down? What a disgrace to his name that we would put our personal preferences ahead of what he has planned for eternity to create one new people together. This is something we need to repent of and go forward in. We need to say sorry to God and ask for his help so that we treat every single person in this church with the respect and the dignity and the love that is due to them because that's how Jesus feels about them. We need to feel the weight of how offensive this is to Jesus and what a disgrace it is to Jesus' name. He has broken down every barrier. We cannot rebuild them. I'll finish with this quote from uh, John Stott, uh, theologian John Stott, and he says this, There's nothing more important for the honour of Jesus Christ and the spread of the gospel in this world than for the church to live like it is. A united people, a fellowship of brothers and sisters in Christ that love each other and love God, a reconciled community of peace. Because then... And only then will the world believe that Jesus Christ is the peacemaker. And only then will God be glorified as he deserves. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for Jesus Christ, the peacemaker, who has reconciled every relationship in this world that He's, he's brought unity to humanity, that possibility. He's, he's brought 
reconciliation with God, but please forgive us that we don't reflect that in our churches because of our human sin and our human agendas. Please forgive us, Father. But Father, as we ask this prayer, we know that you do forgive us because by your grace, you've shown us your incredible love and mercy in Christ. Help us to live out the gospel. May our church be a shining light of what it means to actually be a united people in Christ. May our church be a testimony of the gospel through this world which is so broken and so in need of peace. May our church be a light there to show that conflict doesn't have to be the norm, that hostility can be brought to an end, and that comes in Jesus Christ. And in his name we pray. Amen.